Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and review our favorite comic books and graphic novels, and on episodes like this, talk to the people who make them. We are joined today by one of our favorite artists here on the show, Erica Henderson, who you may know from her work on The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Assassination, Dracula Motherfucker, and for today's conversation, Parasocial. How's it going, Erica? Oh, it's going great. How are you? I'm good. I liked saying Dracula motherfucker out loud. I don't think I'd ever said that out loud. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. Um, I think it quickly sort of lost the shine for us. I mean, like, we still enjoy the title, but it's not, like, exciting to say. But people who interview us love saying it. They get so excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I was a relatively latecomer to using fuck in sentences. Like, I come from a pretty religious background. And so once I did give in... I, I want to use it every chance I can get, you know? Like, the first time I talked about assassination, I called him Tuck Farkington out loud. And I, oh, no. like, cringe at that all the time. <laughs> Amazing. It's like, who was that guy? Why did he do that? I don't know. Childhood trauma, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, But, yeah, so for anyone that might not be familiar with you your work. Could you walk us through a little bit of your comic book origin story? Okay. What do you mean by origin story? Like, I, how far I back know. we going? <laughs> um, I mean, floor is yours, but maybe how you got into the comic book industry. I know you started with video games. You came in, started working on the unbeatable squirrel girl. Can you walk us a little bit through how we got to Paris? Yeah. How we got from one to the other. Yeah. Or, um, well, from, from when I was working in games, that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was in school, like in my senior year, one of the professors was, uh, like the, was the art lead at harmonics. And so when it was time to apply for jobs, I was like, Hey, Ryan, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got my first job there. And while I was working at these various companies, I was doing stuff on the side. I was going to the conventions, um, just meeting a lot of people and just doing what I could after work, which is already like, it's too much. It's too much to do. Mm -hmm. I remember at one New York Comic Con, um, Andy Corey, who was a former... DC editor before that he was and at that time I think he was still editor-in-chief of Comics Alliance which was a, a great comics review site back mm -hmm. in the day he turned to me and he was like so are you actually gonna like fully get into this are you gonna like what, what's your plan like where do you want to go with this and I was like I don't know because you know you I had health insurance yeah <laughs> and stuff like that um and then when he got back uh, there were people from San Francisco over at our studio and they were like, Hey, we're closing you down. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to try now. I guess now <laughs> is what I'll make my big push to see if this works. You know, you're, you're paying yeah. us all to go home. You got all those temperance packages. Um, I kind of like went full austerity mode, canceled like Netflix, any, any little expenses. <laughs> Man. Um, Yeah. Yeah, back when Netflix was the only game in town, too. <laughs> you just cold um, turkey that. You're like, no more entertainment. 
well, I had DVDs and stuff, but yeah, like I just, and from there it was just, it was two years until I got Squirrel Girl, which is pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Because that's still, you know, sort of like zero to 60. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's um, quite the accomplishment, honestly. Yeah, I actually got that one. It was weird. Uh, Will Moss was the editor on that book. Mm-hmm. He had seen an article in Wired, like this tiny little article in Wired that Jay Edidin had written that was just like, hey, here's a bunch of movie posters that my friend did. It, that was me, the friend. <laughs> and he saw that and asked if I wanted to do a story in an anthology. And a lot of these anthologies are def- like they're testing grounds to see, mm-hmm. you know, if you work well, stuff like that. And later that summer after the anthology, he was like, hey, uh, do you want to do Squirrel Girl? And I was like, I I, I guess. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say no to a Marvel comic. This is not yeah. really a character that I've thought a lot about. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I asked if I could redesign her costume. I sent over like four pages of weird doodles. And then I want to say like, a month later, I get an email from Ryan North being like, hey, I guess we're doing a comic together. And then I emailed Bill Moss and was like, why did you not tell me? <laughs> <laughs> like, How did I find out from Ryan North that this was happening? Who I actually hadn't met before. So I was like, why is Ryan North emailing me? <laughs> Spam. Send it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, then from there, I did Squirrel Girl for three years. Uh, while I was working on Squirrel Girl, I also did a a trade's worth of issues of Jughead with Chip Zdarsky. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, three years of doing the same thing over and over is rough. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it is kind it it this it is the same thing over and over. And, you know, essentially what I keep doing is kind of the same thing, but there's different challenges when you change up the type of, you know, the specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I wanted to do something else. <laughs> uh, I think the next thing that came out after that was Assassination, two words, with Kyle Starks. And that was just something where Kyle and I, when that book came out, had been talking for six years about doing something together. And the, the, the timing never worked out. Um, and it, it finally did. It was, I think this is another thing where we were at a convention. Uh, Kyle was talking about an idea. We both realized that we had time coming up and then we just sort of walked over to John Moisen, who was an editor at Marvel. He was like my assistant editor on Squirrel Girl. And he was then at Skybat. We're like, hey, John, you want to do a book? And he was like, yes. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening, this is not usually how things happen. <laughs> That's not the secret sauce. You don't just walk up to people like, we're doing it. Da-da-da. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it helped that at different points, John had talked to both of us separately about, hey, if you ever want to pitch something to Skybound, uh, do it. And we both went up to him and said, hey, we have a thing. <laughs> so Girls. that... You know, that makes it easier when someone's already said, pitch me something. Yeah. Um, after that, the next thing that came out was Dracula Motherfucker. 
<laughs> with Alex DeCampi. Well, and that was another one where um, I guess I only just found this out. Uh, Alex had written the script for Katie Skelly. And okay. something had happened with her. Uh, she couldn't take it on. She had too much to do. And it was like the middle of December. I wasn't doing much. And she was like, hey, you want to read this script? <laughs> I read it. I was like, yeah, let's do this. And then we just. That book came together really quickly. Like, I don't know how long it took her to write it, but I drew it really quickly. Image immediately on board. There's another thing like doesn't happen this way usually i realize that i've been very lucky in my life yeah. <laughs> none of the things i'm saying are typical <laughs> um and then after that was danger and other unknown risks which came out this past april which um i think was probably in production in some way while dracula was happening so basically part of when I left Marvel, it was because I had signed a contract to do a graphic novel at Penguin with another author. And then that author produced nothing for two years. Mm. And I went and I was like, I'm not putting up with this. This is stupid. I keep turning down work because he keeps saying it's almost done. It's clearly not been started. Yeah. And Penguin said, Okay, uh, I guess you can hold on to your contract. Just bring us another book. Which also, again, doesn't happen. You usually don't yeah. just have a blank contract. And that's when I pulled in Ryan North. And I was like, hey, do you want to do a book? Which led us, gave us the interesting uh, moment of, okay, uh, Penguin is super excited about like bringing this team back together. Mm -hmm. So they, keep, they immediately brought him on. But we just had like a contract and no pitch so there were just tons of conversations about like okay what's this book gonna be <laughs> that is so interesting and then yeah now we have parasocial which you know now that i've already worked with alex that's that was uh a similar hey you want to do another book kind of situation but you know the the image and alex and me think was already established so that one's less of a strange situation yeah Wow, that that's a pretty great origin story. I'm not gonna lie, like that that's wild. <laughs> oh, I will say, um, just to add to the the Jughead thing, which uh, it was part of the Archie kind of reboot rebrand that came with Riverdale, mm -hmm. and when it was announced, um my now husband and I were, we were in Europe because his, one of his best friends growing up uh, was marrying a woman. Um, it was not destination wedding. She's Italian. So, okay. <laughs> you know, I have not gone to any destination weddings because I, I, I can't abide that. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> um, and we were, you know, we made a vacation out of it. We were in Paris. We had been walking around all day and, weirdly there weren't a lot of restaurants open at night and the ones that were were these brasseries where everything was way too expensive mm -hmm. and we're like okay all of this sucks uh we just want some sort of food at a place where a coke doesn't cost three euros yeah <laughs> um and we find this hip restaurant 
for young, cool people. Everyone in there was like very hip. They were all carrying tiny dogs. Uh, They were all like dressed to the nines. And it was a burger restaurant. And while we were there, they announced Jughead. (laughs) We were like in Paris eating burgers. And my uh, then boyfriend was like, ordering a beer off of the foreign menu and got a Brooklyn lager. <laughs> what I'm hearing from this is it sounds like you're the main character of comics, really. Like <laughs> if we've all been or, one. Or at least year. like the the wacky person that all the Yeah, just sort of pop in every so often to be like, hey guys, guess what? <laughs> You'd never believe this. And you just walk yeah. back out through the side door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I you sent me the review copy for Parasocial. I had the opportunity yes. to read it and I was blown away. I knew I was going to love it. I loved your previous work with Alex on Dracula Motherfucker. And this is a very different book in a lot of ways. I I was wondering, so you talked about this being obviously a return to this creative team. Where did the idea for Parasocial come from was that something you worked out together did one of you bring it to the other um i guess just maybe where what emotions went into the creation of parasocial well uh at the end of dracula we had talked about doing more books that were kind of a part of like an emotional series Mm -hmm. you know like it we're not, it's not a sequel in any way whatsoever. Um, but a lot of the themes are similar. There are themes of loneliness and longing and uh, women who are wronged. Um, and this was one that Alex had worked out on her own again. The next one we've been talking about a lot more. We've been discussing like how it can go and where it can go. But this one was definitely like the writing was Alex. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I feel like for anyone that doesn't know, parasocial is, I would pitch it as like misery for a comic convention. Like if you have read and enjoy Stephen King's misery, you will enjoy parasocial. But I think it has a really interesting modern uptick to it because when you're reading misery at no point is there social media is there the internet is there modern fandom obviously it's not a book from this era but adding all those things on top of it especially in the comic book community where i feel like sometimes because we are a relatively small community there is more back and forth than other artistic mediums like i have no expectation that i'll ever sit down with martin scorsese to talk about his movies but i have had the opportunity to talk with a lot of comic book creators that i admire and it can become so easy in this industry to start being like these are my friends these are people (laughs) that i have a relationship with that i can talk with like we are the best of pals and that just isn't always the case and being on the receiving end of that as much as realizing that you're on the giving end of that can be a really uncomfortable and specific feeling that I think you nailed in parasocial. So I guess for you on the artistic front, there were a lot of 
feelings of claustrophobia, especially later on in the book as things were closing in. You talk about this being an emotional book, an emotional sequel to Dracula Motherfucker. How do you bring those emotions of parasocial relationships, claustrophobia, to the artwork of this book? Uh, So part of what was difficult about this book was that everything was about that minutiae. Like Dracula was really easy because everything was bombastic. Like Mm -hmm. every you're constantly like moving from location to location and everything's lit like a crazy Italian giallo and you know, or there's monsters popping out. And here it's like, we have two people and we're in one room and at any moment, someone, someone can turn. Mm-hmm. Um, for, Cause a lot of the book is about, It's about how we present ourselves uh, and to ourselves and to other people and who we really are and like the lies that we tell to each other and ourselves. And so there's a lot of shifting back and forth with people's presentation. And I had to think about that a lot, like how they're trying to present themselves. If they're thinking about it in that moment, uh, how do you show those little changes in emotion without losing someone? Or are you doing a shift in emotion where you do lose someone? Like, does someone, does someone change that much? The problem, like part of the really difficult stuff was uh, actually specifically Luke, who's the, the actor in the story who is, the object of desire Mm -hmm. (laughs) because his whole thing is that he's a TV handsome actor who's maybe just starting to age out of being TV handsome. And that's such a specific look. Yeah. Like, you know what that guy looks like, right? Like you, you know, if it's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And trying to maintain that while also, but also like, you know, people get ugly in this, but how do you, how do you get ugly while still staying true to someone? You know, cause we're not trying to go too cartoony. It was, it was all nuance. This book was all getting into little nuances moment to moment. It was a real nightmare in that way, but I, I, I love it. It do was a good challenge. Do you feel like that nuance mostly came across in like facial acting or the pacing of scenes? How how did you convey that? Do you feel like? I think I mean obviously bodily and facial acting is part of it, but you also just in how you frame something. Um, I mean you know, there's sort of the obvious things of like you pull far back from someone and you become less connected to them. You get in close and you're more connected. Um, But we get uh, at a certain point, you get to play with lighting more. So you get to like hide faces. You get to, you know, play with light on them. Um, Color also helps. I played with color a lot whenever I could, Mm -hmm. you know, to try and, to stay fairly realistic in places. But since so much of the story is also, 
is also emotional. Like you can start to mess with it if emotions run really high. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of all of it. You know, you have to like really play with all of it. You can't just have a static camera and have the emotions play out in the same way. Like you have to come in and out and, you know, get into someone's private space or pull away from them. Yeah. I think this book had a lot of my favorite still moments from you. Mm. I think a lot of what I love in your artwork is your ability to pace anything, honestly, with comedy and Squirrel Girl action and something like Assassination and moments of horror in Dracula. It's so clear that you you have that one, two, three rhythm down. And it was really interesting in Parasocial to see sort of these extended still moments with characters that still sold all of those emotions so well. Was that something that you feel like you had to work at figuring the pacing out for, or was it a little bit more natural? I think the pacing was fine. I think I generally know what I want pacing to feel like. Um, I... I feel like I often, because it's an easy shorthand, attribute that to having studied film in school, but I don't know that that's actually where it comes from. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know that we had a very good film program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's something that I think about a lot just because I'm so interested in film. Like, how do you... Film is something that we have a lot of we have a lot of words for we know we know how to describe a lot of it because it's so studied mm-hmm. um but it's also easy to understand because a lot of it's happening one to one yeah except for like maybe the size of people is like camera cuts things are happening in real time it's one to one you're hearing what's going on you're seeing what's happening and with comics, we're, we have to change that into a medium where you have you have dialogue and picture, but it doesn't move. You're the one who's moving. You're the one who's like moving through. And how do you how do you basically trick someone into spending more or less time somewhere or feeling more or less time? And you have and how like the the sort of length of a scene I can feel I think sort of instinctively, and I really want to make sure that gets across. Um, like one thing that drives me crazy is like I, I don't know it'll be like someone kicking someone in the face and they have like a three sentence word balloon and it's like the <laughs> amount of time it takes to say that is not the amount of time it takes to kick someone in the face. Yeah. And so there's a huge, it's very discordant. Like it doesn't make sense to me. And I always want that to make sense. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I think a recent example for me of someone who, recent to me specifically for this, was reading through Urasawa's Pluto for the first time and just seeing mm. how he paced his dialogue and balloons with the action for exactly what you're talking about, because I think 
and this is not breaking news to anybody, but one of the most discouraging things as a comic book fan or as a comic book reader is coming across the wall of text page and just seeing like, okay, whew, all right, buckle up. We've got to read all of these things and you can feel it drowning out the artwork. And I think that's something that you and your collaborators have obviously figured out pretty well. I think a lot of your books give your work room to breathe. And I, even if they don't, I will make sure it does. (laughs) I will just add more panels in there. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, word that rules. (laughs) Like why not? It's, you know, if I can fit them in, I'm going to fit them in. Yeah. Um, So my question with parasocial now next to danger and unknown, other unknown risks, which Great book, by the way. Was it was it hard to switch from creating this whole fantastical world in danger and other unknown risks into going to the real world with parasocial, or was that sort of a breath of fresh air for you? Uh I don't know. It, I don't wouldn't say it was either. Okay. Because when I come into something, I'm not I'm not trying to impose anything onto what the story is how how it comes out i think is how i feel it should be okay um i mean i'm sure that there's a certain level to which i'm like all right okay thank god i'm done with this this is finished (laughs) on to the next thing but it's not because it's it's not because it's different there's just that feeling of you know you're excited something's done yeah (laughs) um but uh, I I get that. Yeah. I'm in the last edit on a novel right now, and I I never want to look at it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> like I, if I never read you ever again, it will be too soon, my beloved piece. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, by the end of Danger, there were we had gone through so many edits. Um, yeah, I feel like part of what was nice about moving on to this is like, okay, I can just, I can think about other things. Yeah. Did those edits come with working on with Penguin? Like, what was it like making a graphic novel with Penguin? Is it the same as the direct market would be with an OGN or was it a completely different experience? Uh, It's a different experience. I mean, there one, you can take a lot more time Mm -hmm. with a lot of direct market stuff. With image, there's like, there's nothing. That's that's the kind of the deal. Like, they'll print it and distribute it. Mm-hmm. You do everything else. Yeah. Um. So there, there's really no comparison there. But for other places, like it's there's a pretty quick turnaround. But with the sort of traditional book publishers, that's not really how it works. There's a lot more minutia. But I would say a lot of the edits came from. Uh, came from the insane way in which Ryan and I worked, which would only work if you completely trust the other person, mm-hmm. uh, where we we kind of went over an outline. Like, we sort of figured an outline out over the phone, and then Ryan typed something up, and then I took what he wrote and threw like half of it away and wrote another treatment. <laughs> and then he went into mine and like kind of did the same thing. And it actually wound up working really well because there was a lot of 
there are a lot of things where if you change something small, it has like, you know, the, the ripple effects change mm-hmm. everything later on. And so it wound up being this thing where we were doing that. But as we were doing it, the drastic changes happened later and later in the book. And our original ending, which was incredibly shaky, I think really wound up forming into something as we were like, oh, okay, yes, we now we now agree and have figured out what this earlier thing is and it can tie in and all this other stuff. But um, I think at the end, not counting little changes I was doing as I was um, kind of coloring and lettering, we were at like 22 drafts. That is <laughs> and to, as I said, crazy. like as we got along, there were smaller and smaller changes, but still, that, yeah. that's still a, a crazy thing to do. So when you're drafting as the artist, does that mean like scrapped full art pages or do you figure that out in like the thumbnail stage if you're doing um, 22 edits? Oh, no, that's just that's just the script. That's just a script. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's still nuts, but a little bit, a little bit bit less disheartening. I was like, oh no, I don't even know what that looks like on the art side. Um, If I'm doing something on my own, I might do layouts at the same time as I'm writing, but they'll be, they'll be pretty loose. Yeah. Uh, And that's only if I'm fairly certain about what's going to happen. If I'm not, if I'm not that certain that I'm not doing them. (laughs) Like we're not wasting lines here. Yeah. It's not a waste in lines household. <laughs> um with danger and other unknown risks. How did you is what was your approach to the type of fantasy that it was? Because it felt <laughs> incredibly fresh. As someone who reads a lot of fantasy, both like low and high, whatever those words mean, like your book felt incredibly fresh. And I, I would love to know some of the process on that. Um, okay. So uh, as I already said, we sort of came from zero. Okay. This could be anything. Um, and we kept throwing out ideas, just like, here's a completely random starting point. And we'd talk about it a little bit and it wouldn't work out. One thing that often sort of stopped the conversation dead in its tracks was Ryan kept saying, and there should be a talking dog. And like, it wouldn't work for whatever it is we were doing. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, let's start with the talking dog. <laughs> we're going to start with the talking dog and see where that brings us. <laughs> that was uh, the so best possible universe. answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's the universe that came with that as our, our germinating seed. It's like, what sort of place would have a talking dog where are we (laughs) gonna go with that um and it wasn't until the book was all the way done and we were discussing other things that we had i don't know if it was him or me or us together had come up with the idea that basically what this is is like sci-fi concepts with fantasy (laughs) So instead of like doing the Star Trek explanation of like, here's a bunch of gibberish, uh, but and it's math, here's a bunch of gibberish, but it's crystals. It's just like the same thing, but now it's crystals. <laughs> That's how the sausage gets made. Talking dogs and yeah. boom, it's crystals. 
I, I mean, I loved it. It worked. So that is so funny. It reminds me of <laughs> that first Discworld novel where there's talking like, and all this is happening on the back of a turtle. You're like, why is that where we're starting? But I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you color all of your own work at this point, correct? Yes. How does that feel? Like, what is your approach to color? I know it, it definitely happened before this, but the first time for me, I was really blown away by your colors was with Dracula. I looked at that piece and I was like, wow, this is so vibrant. And I feel like you do a lot of your storytelling with colors at this point. So how, how was that switch over to doing your own colors and what's the most rewarding about doing them? Uh, so actually Dracula is sort of where I wanted to start with this anyway. So that's perfect. Um, perfect. With Dracula, the thing that I started to do because I wanted to really lean into that, like Mario Bava sort of insane Italian lighting Mm-hmm. was as I was roughing everything out, I was just putting color in there. Like it's all digital anyway. So I'm mm-hmm. just putting down like quick splashes of color just to, and part of it's even to make sure uh, that the color is moving across the page properly. If you talk a lot about like, you got to make sure you move the eye across the page the right way. Well, like what if you have some like bright red item and it's just as if you're just doing it black and white not thinking about it it's like darting around and you have this like stupid red thing in the corner and it goes like all over the place so I just start doing the color in my like penciling phase really it's like figuring out like the basic color and like the pages aren't fully colored Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll just like put down like the main splashes and some pages I don't have to do that at all because it's like, be like some of those pages, it was mostly black with like a bright green light. I, I know where it's going to, I know what it's going to be. I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it, I started thinking about color as a storytelling tool, not just in the sense of like, if it's blue, it's cold and sad. If it's red, it's like angry and hot. But this is a thing that can also direct the eye around the page. And then with danger, part of what we were talking about, part of the evolution of the story is that at one point we were considering making it a series of short stories that you then in like the last one or two chapters realized all came together as one story. It's sort of like, um, super mutant magic academy how like that kind of becomes one longer story at the end mm-hmm. um we ditched that idea because it was like too <laughs> it was too formalist <laughs> like this is yeah. we have to work too hard to make this happen <laughs> but we liked the idea of okay we're doing we're doing the tolkien thing of wandering from place to place but let's just cut out the walking <laughs> And so since we're in different places in each time, I could say like, okay, each chapter has its own color because we're in a different place. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I like about the book is you can kind of like open up to a chapter and know where you are based on the color. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, like I've just been thinking more and more about those things. And like a book I'm working on right now, which has not been announced, I'm not saying what it is, <laughs> um, has a lot of like the the writer and I are both Chinese. There's like a lot. There's a big Chinese part of it, and mm-hmm. so I'm spending a lot of time being like, all right, I'm only using the color red when certain things are happening. That's the only time we're seeing red. <laughs> And like have to figure out everything as we go through with like that in mind. So I've just been trying to make it make color a part of the process. It should be a part of the process from the start. Like there are very few other kinds of art where you're sort of like, I'll figure out color later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's there are so many interesting warts that comics still have from their newspaper origins <laughs> like i that being one of them the idea that's like and this was conceived in black and white and now somebody else is gonna figure this out for us send it on down the line well, it's also i mean it's also part of the like uh production line process right like it, it was less about putting out books and more about putting out a product we have to like get this product out every month um yeah and i will say there is an extent to which Coloring used to be a lot harder. Uh, yeah. The I don't fully understand <laughs> how it worked where you're like pulling colors off of a list and marking every little piece of a page and sending it off to I, I, the printer, I guess, <laughs> being like, this section is this series of numbers and that section is that series of numbers. Like, I can kind of understand even if you knew your colors like letting someone else do it yeah uh yeah that's crazy i was actually thinking about exactly that like three days ago i was thinking about the printing process of old comics i was like i i could never could not i know in a million years that is insane well so much of it is crazy a friend of mine has uh he teaches and he has a few plates from a a page of a Carl's Barks Ducks comic. Oh, and it's cool. just, but, but like looking at this plate that they used to print with, they had to have one for every single page. Every single page had this like metal stamp that was created. Every page of comics. That's crazy. Yeah. Like it's it's one of those things like you understand it like someone says like this is how printing works and you know it and you look at this like you hold this piece of metal and it's like what the hell yeah like, how many of these were there <laughs> there's an artistry even to that you know that's so comics yeah. are cool comics are cool yeah <laughs> um I guess my question now it seems like you are shifting more and more towards the extended like graphic novel approach, right? Your last few projects have been this. Do you miss single issues at all? Or do you see your future in more extended chunks like we've been seeing? Uh, yeah, I, I like being able to tell complete stories. I find it very satisfying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't really miss it. I also don't miss uh, the grind. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, I it always cracks me up on in online spaces when people are like, oh, man, 
this artist left after only so many issues. Like I remember <laughs> when Ryan Otley left Spider-Man after like 30 something issues, people were like, I wish we could have gotten a real run out of Ryan Otley. It's like, you're all insane. <laughs> you're insane yeah. people. Like, yeah, that's get a grip. That, that's a uh, not including covers, 500 pages of work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's fully crazy. It's like, I, yeah. Couldn't be me, so good for Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, God, what was it? I left on issue 32, but there had been a previous eight, so it was 40 issues. Ugh. That's crazy. So many. It's so many issues of comic. It's a lot of squirrels. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> we're all grateful for them. I love Squirrel Girl. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I came to it relatively late. I've, I read most of your work backwards. Like I started with assassination and then moved forward. And I was like, I finally should do squirrel girl. <laughs> and it was like reading the Ur text. I opened that up and like big golden light shot off the page. It's like, wow, look at this. <laughs> yeah. That was another ridiculous one because, you know, to add to the list of things that don't usually happen, um, because, Squirrel Girl was this weird book that was, it became popular, but no one thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we weren't sure if this would last at all. And then like the first few issues kept getting reprinted. But um, we kind of got to do a lot of whatever we wanted because no one was paying attention to us. Yeah. You know, if you're working on Spider-Man or the X-Men, everyone's looking at you everyone's making sure and this is like within and without the company right like you if you're doing spider-man spider like touching spider-man affects everything else yeah uh but no one was doing that with squirrel girls so we we're just like yeah well I, I guess we're going to the moon <laughs> <laughs> my favorite has got to be Ultron T-Rex. When I turned the page to Ultron T-Rex, <laughs> I was like, they've done it. They've done everything. Everything comics did up to this point was leading to this moment. When baby Jack Kirby was getting rocked, it was at this <laughs> moment right now. Do you, oh, man. do you feel like your comic book sensibilities were affected by that sort of laissez-faire approach to Squirrel Girl where you got to be as creative as you wanted to? Uh, I think so in the sense that if I were doing the other version, I would have been less excited, <laughs> I think, yeah. that we got to just do whatever we wanted. Um, it, it really, it really gives a spark <laughs> to the whole thing that, you know, the, the fun of working with these bigger companies like you don't get to own anything but you get to basically play in this big sandbox that has all these toys in it already yeah. and if there was someone there telling me how to play with the toys you're you're just like okay i don't why am i doing this yeah it's, but if you can just pick robbed. up the toys and be like okay they're kissing now <laughs> <laughs> no one can tell me they're not and mickey mouse is in the corner folding his arms like no they're not <laughs> They're not kissing. Uh, we had so little kissing in that book. It's like the worst example I could have pulled. 
It's like, is this a kissing book? No, it's just about everything else, but it is not a kissing book. No, it's absolutely not a kissing book. <laughs> we would rank this higher on the educational book than kissing book. Yeah, uh, 80s Fred Savage approved. <laughs> Very true. Um, thank you so much for your time. Do you have anything else that you would like to make sure to touch on or plug before we wrap up? Um, oh, I feel like I should have thought of something beforehand, but <laughs> now, okay. now my, my mind has gone blank. I feel like asking if there's anything else going, is like <laughs> a Buddhist cone where your head just like completely empties. <laughs> I guess something that came to my mind as Amelia, I asked you, I saw you posting the other day that showing off some of your embroidery and needlework on your... Uh, Patreon, right? Yeah. So uh, maybe could you, my wife will kill me if I don't ask this because I always show your embroidery. <laughs> my wife's a big sewer. I was like, look at this comic book artist I like that does all this crazy <laughs> needlework. Could you talk for like two minutes about that part of your artistry? Yeah. So the embroidery came out of uh, being in lockdown and thinking I need a uh, pandemic lockdown thing you know okay. I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do the sourdough i i'm happy just buying yeast at the store uh, <laughs> i was already baking so i didn't need to you know add baking to my repertoire <laughs> yeah and embroidery became that thing i i always i don't know if always is true i enjoy fashion as an art form mm -hmm. um partly because it's one of those like those things that's considered more stupid because it's a girl thing. And partly because like that stuff's hard. My mom worked in pattern making in the fashion industry in New York before it collapsed. Um, and that job is basically like a designer hands you a drawing and then you have to basically just draft out what all the pieces of fabric look like and how they would come together to make those shapes it's crazy. um yeah, yeah it's like i i don't know how it works i don't understand it <laughs> um wow I, I understand it a little more but like i can't be bothered to learn the math of it <laughs> yeah and so it's i've always liked it and the the embellishment part is always interesting to me because that's like that's the thing that kind of makes a lot of fancy textiles really fancy. Cause she's like, someone has to just sit there and do it right. Like mm -hmm. uh, you can't sewing is not that hard. Like there can be little things you can do, but you're mainly at this point, like running two pieces or more of fabric through a machine. And as long as you're, not being sloppy about it, it comes out correctly if you have like all your little pieces and everything comes together. But like, I, I guess I was sort of intrigued by this, the whole embroidery and beading part because it's so, it's because it's time consuming and, and it, there's something about the fact that it makes, it elevates something 
that I found very appealing. You know, it's like there's there are so many patterns people can buy to just make clothes. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) people aren't that impressed if they see you wearing clothes. Like they don't know that you made it. But if you like have something ridiculous on the clothes, they're like, (laughs) what the hell is that? That's not a print. Like, what's going on here? It's kind of eye-catching. And I that part of it appealed to me. But I also just, I just like the act of it. Like, for yeah. once I got started actually doing it, um, I realized what I was doing was my version of an adult coloring book. Because the adult coloring book would have no appeal to me. That's my job already. That's, like, yeah. already part of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> But this is just you're very slowly going in and filling in color. Yeah. Like that's that's kind of all it is. Like you're just drawing but with these very short little lines that you just have to keep doing over and over and over again. Um so yeah, it was a combination of wanting things that were exciting to look at but also just in finding that I enjoyed the process. Yeah. And it all came out of like, what am I going to do during this pandemic? No one's working right now. <laughs> I, I do like that you zigged when everyone else zagged to sourdough. You're like, what is way more impressive and difficult? Uh, I'm going to go this way. I also just didn't want like, I didn't want it in my kitchen. I didn't want the big <laughs> uh, foaming bacteria jar in my kitchen. <laughs> Not in, not in my kitchen. I, people can do whatever they want in theirs, but not in my kitchen. And there's like a Michael's right here. I can get like floss whenever I want. So it's, you know, it's great. <laughs> that does rule. I, my last compliment of your work for the evening will be <laughs> knowing that you have this background in fashion, seeing it in the clothes that you make. Thank you so much for making fashionable people in your comic books. I love one of my favorite parts of reading Squirrel Girl, but then also reading all of your work is that everyone looks good and they look unique on the page. Like that was something that was pointed out to me with a lot of like Chris Claremont's X-Men, the artist he was working with. Back then, they knew how to dress people outside of their superhero costumes. They like made it feel right. lived in. It made it feel like these were people that had the sort of interior lives that I find so interesting. And I think that was one of the most vital things that you captured in Squirrel Girl. And again, I really noticed it this time in Danger and Other Unknown Risks, where it's just like, these feel like cool people who are telling me about themselves with their clothes. And they don't it's not just like generic 2019 outfit. And then they also have a really great superhero costume. And I just, it makes the books feel alive and I love it. Oh, thanks. That's like a big part of the character design for me is like people choosing how they dress. Cause it's like, it's a thing that talks a lot about a huge host of things. Like one, how you want to dress, like how you decide other people should see you at that time. Or, you know, if someone's like tired that day and they're not dressed all that nicely or how much money you make. Uh, That's a part of it. I mean, that's, that was part of a lot of the consideration for how I dressed Lily in parasocial. Mm -hmm. Um, It was funny because like I, Squirrel Girl was a little different, but for a lot of 
other stuff I feel like I have to tone down because I'm concerned about what a character would wear and would be able to wear versus Mm -hmm. maybe like I saw a cool piece of clothing and I want to draw it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like with assassination, like everyone had their own type of look. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, not everyone there was dressed well, but they had a thing like uh, fuck Tarkington. He was just based off of our friend Chris Schweitzer, who's also a great artist and writer. That makes me so happy. I thought so, but that makes me so happy to know. When I saw him for the first time in real life, I was like, fuck? He's like, oh, hello. I'm the nicest man that's ever lived. Welcome to my cabin at Comic-Con. Yep. Yep. That's him. Yep. He's phenomenal. Oh, that rules. That is my day. But then, like... uh, Oh God, if I remember what's names. At Fingerman, we I put him in expensive clothes that I thought were tacky. <laughs> so that there was, was a I, I would have like different folders of like just I think for him uh I had a lot of like Dolce and Gabbana pink pineapple shirts <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, oh this shirt costs a lot of money, but I hate looking at it. <laughs> Uh, so it's a, yeah, it's just a lot of thinking about what people would wear. Like with, in, like I was saying with Parasocial, we had Lily put on an outfit to, that she was told was beautiful. She had it on at Dragon Con. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, this has got to be an outfit that she can afford. You know, like we know she lives in a trailer and takes care of another person. Yeah. So like not a lot of money. Uh, we know that she's a little goth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Dragon Con's a little horny or a lot horny. Dragon Con's a lot horny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I was like, what is a like affordable early 20s goth girl sexy outfit? <laughs> Like what? Where? What am I pulling from here? I mean, that's I just... a great Google search right there. Like, what is? Well, luckily, because I do all these searches anyway, I just I get these ads all the time, and then I'll click on the ads, so I'll just keep getting them because I like look at the site and not buy anything. But you like, tricked the I... marketers into helping you. Oh yeah, I get all the cheap stuff and the expensive stuff, so I'll get uh. I will have advertised to me like twenty thousand dollar ball gowns and like, <laughs> uh, like Shein. <laughs> so <laughs> there are two wolves inside of you. That is so funny. I, I mean, I love what you said about like. So me personally, I feel like coming out of the pandemic, I I've always really loved clothes. I've loved trying to be fashionable. I've loved trying to be stylish and. I just feel like I was in the weirdest funk for like the last two years. And I feel like I've really been trying again at this. And it, you're so right that it, it makes you feel better. It makes you feel more like yourself. And I, I feel like that comes across in your artwork and in your characters. They feel like people with personalities that are trying to be self-actualized. And so then when they're not like, when Dave pulls up in just regular clothes, you're like, this is just a regular guy. 
look at this regular guy here with all these crazy people. The funny thing about Dave is that, uh, okay, so Dave is based off of my husband, Dave. Outstanding. (laughs) Um, Partly, I drew in Dave because when Kyle was coming up with, like, we both came up with characters, and he Mm -hmm. wanted one super normal guy. And he wrote Dave, and I was like, don't call him Dave. We both know, like, Dave, so call him something else. And then when the script came in, it still said Dave, so I kept it. And we had kind of come up with this background story of, like, he makes good money because he's an assassin. And so his wife buys him expensive clothes, but you wouldn't necessarily know they were because he won't wear things that look too fancy, which is also, like, uh, my Dave. But, uh, like, one of the... uh, things I had him in was a Prada sweater <laughs> that I just saw in a window one time. And I was like, yes, that. <laughs> it's just like, I, I just keep these stupid things in my head where I'm just like, I need to use that at some point. I don't know when, but one day this will happen. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. It but yeah, it was me- like a thing that his wife would buy that he would not buy, but... <laughs> what? I love that Venn diagram of very nice, but unassuming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, we, if we ever get a chance to come back to it, we would love to continue just Dave and fuck going on adventures Mm -hmm. because uh, I think it's very clear that we love those two characters. Oh yeah. Everyone (laughs) that I give that book to it's one of my favorites to give to people because they always come back to like Dave and fuck. And I was like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You saw the vision. Yeah. It's the Dave and fuck show, frankly. <laughs> yeah. We, we get like an extra little story for skybound and uh, they wanted it to continue the story some. And so <laughs> it just wound up being a thing where it was David fucking our adventure. And then, the very last panel is them getting a phone call from the other characters. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Here's your one pet, your one page. <laughs> we just want to see Dave and fuck beating up bikers. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. That was really fun. And everybody that's listening, please make sure to go out and when this releases, it should be available wherever you go. Comic book store, bookstore, go pick up Parasocial this Tuesday. It'll be out in bookstores. Yeah, I believe that's the 4th of October for comic book stores and the 10th for bookstores because uh, the book market is stupid and everyone's fighting constantly. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Our great art form arguing yep (laughs) wonderful thank you so much erica no problem this is great all right bye everyone